What I'm going to speak from today is as far as I can remember, and we'll see what, how the Lord leads, but pretty much everything I'm going to speak today is in this book. I have the same name, The Great Test. Um, these, both of these are available back there, so i do that first so I don't forget it. Amen. <clears throat> this subject also is connected to everything Brother Howard was sharing with us this morning um, in terms of the atmosphere of the times that we live in. An atmosphere, the culture of release, where nobody wants to be told what to do. Amen. It's the human tendency from the beginning, you shall be as gods, of course, but we live in a day where the entire culture is, going, is telling us that we can be whoever we want to be and that nobody needs to exert any authority into our lives. So that, that question is going to be central to what we're going over here, is the issue of authority. It's not the favorite topic of the flesh, <laughs> because we just don't like it. But what we're going to be talking about is um, one of the great confessions of the New Testament. Most people will refer to the confession of, say, Romans 10.9, of confessing him as Lord. And that obviously is central confession of, of the Christian faith, I would say. But there is another confession that's really directly tied to what it means to confessing Jesus as the Lord, the sovereign authority in our lives. Amen. And that's the question of can we confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh that John speaks of in 1 John and other places. Amen. So that's what we want to try to draw the connections with of how this, the authority of Christ becomes real and tangible in our lives. That it's not just this mystical um, me and Jesus thing where whatever I say is what he says is what he actually said, but that it gets a little closer to home than that. Which as we know, was connected directly to the historical reality of the incarnation of Christ himself. That was the issue that everybody had with Jesus, was it not? They were very religious. They were all about following the commandments of the Lord. And yet when someone showed up that spoke with authority, that didn't grant to each one you know, what, what did he say to them? You receive honor from one another, amen, because you come in your own name. But if someone comes in the name of another, you him you will not receive. So when Jesus came claiming to speak from the standpoint of authority of God who sent him, that was much harder to receive. A mutual congratulation society where you've got your ideas and I've got mine and we all tolerate each other and it's all relative, that's not so tough on the flesh. We, we can pick and choose. That was an incredible sermon or whatever. I'll incorporate that into my body of truth. That, uh, not so much. I didn't like that. I disagree with that. We're still on the throne when we're doing that. Amen? Not that the Spirit can't guide us to discern between the two. That's what we're going to talk about here. So, Amen. So, but that authority, when it came in the form of Jesus in the flesh on the earth, that was the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, was it not? Amen. They stumbled over that when that, that authority became in the flesh, that was the stone of stumbling. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, speaking of his life before he 
became a believer. He says, though I liked clergymen as I liked bears, I had as little wish to be in the church as in the zoo. This was because the notion of an ultimate authority who might interfere in my life made me feel nauseated. I wanted a region in the innermost depth of my soul which I could surround with a barbed wire fence and guard with a notice, no admittance. Some area, however small, of which I could say to all other beings, this is my business and mine only. For this reason, I had a deep-seated wish that God did not exist. He's describing the human condition, is he not? All of us in the flesh, we want, we want to be the one that draws the limits. We want to say, I want Jesus to be Lord of this and of that. I, should, I deserve some credit that I've allowed him to be Lord over here. Amen. This part over here, not so much yet. But see, when we're doing that, we have reserved unto ourselves the authority to decide where the authority gets exercised, which means we have maintained sovereignty. We have maintained ultimate authority because we've decided what to allow and what not to allow. Amen. It's never become so real to us that another is defining everything for us, which is what lordship is supposed to entail. So this is, we're going to be talking about how that, how that gets real. So let's look, we're going to do a little Bible study here. Let's look at 1 John 4. <clears throat> you don't have to look all these up when we go to all these scriptures, but this is the important one, or one of the important ones. First John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we've been talking about that this morning. Many antichrists, many counterfeits. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Okay, so let's talk about what this means. <coughs> The word come here where it says that confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is in the perfect participle form. I know that because I read it, not because I'm a Greek scholar. But what that means is it shows that Christ's action, his coming, was more than a temporary arrangement. It indicates that it's ongoing. Okay, now the way that this is often Translated, I, I shouldn't say translated, I should say interpreted, is that, okay, he's just saying that somebody needs to acknowledge that Jesus came. That he was, at, he was a real person. He walked on the earth, he was a historical figure. That's not so tough. And a lot of people will just, a lot of believers just go right past that. That's all the, the meaning that gets derived out of this. But we're going to look at some more scriptures and we're going to look at context here. 
When we look at the context of 2 John 1 and 7, he says, he's, he's talking about the same topic, really. He says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So the, the tense of the word changes even more in 2 John, but with a clear parallel to the 1 John 4 passage. The Williams translation, which is considered one of the most accurate to the original Greek texts, Williams New Testament, translate this, that, that same verse in 2 John like this. For many imposters have gone out into the world, men who did not own that Jesus Christ continues to come in human form. I think it's the 20th century New Testament who says continues to come in our human nature. But however that would be translated, it has to indicate a continuing. It, it's really impossible to interpret the Greek as anything other than something that is to this day ongoing. Are you with me? Amen. So, this passage has troubled a lot of commentators who are trying to figure out, well, Jesus isn't here anymore. So what are they talking about? What, what could this verse actually mean? And I would say there's maybe a couple of ways they've come up with to get around what it seems to plainly say. And one of the most common is to say that, well, John, uh, the only purpose of this scripture is that John is addressing Gnostic heresies. That's why he put these, these uh, things into the Bible, um, because he's trying to deal with people that would fall into one of two ditches. And the one version of it, as, just to simplify, the one version of it was that, that, of the Gnostic heresies was that Jesus was only a man, he wasn't really God. He was only flesh. And the other version of it was to say that he wasn't really flesh, he was actually just a spirit that looked like flesh. But he wasn't fully man and fully God. Those were their two ditches. And they're saying, well, John is addressing that. That's why, that's why this whole thing is, is in here, is just to make people realize that Jesus was, in fact, fully man and fully God. We can say amen to that. Amen. It was, he was fully man and fully God. This scripture would speak to that point. Uh, but there's a problem with assuming that that's the only thing John was addressing here. The main problem is that the Gnostics hadn't come on the scene yet when he wrote the books and didn't come on the scene for quite some time. <laughs> Second century, I think, before it was really a prevalent view. Now, of course, we could say that the Holy Spirit anticipated those beliefs and, and allowed something to be written in the Bible that would address those future things. Amen. I wish the same people who, would, who, who say that about this would, would apply it to things like eternal security and some of the other things that have come onto the scene that maybe God anticipated in the scriptures. Amen. But so, amen, that also could also be true. Uh, but is it all that he's saying? That's the question we're asking here today. Is that all really that he's addressing and still hasn't really answered for us? What about this continues to come? If this is only ex uh, addressing the historical figure of Jesus and what he meant, then what, about, what does this mean, this continues to come in human form, in the flesh? So a couple of answers have been proposed to that. One is that, well, Jesus... Uh, when he ascended, he went up in bodily form. So the body of Christ is somewhere up in heaven, and so um, Jesus is still in some way continuing in the flesh. 
that also is true. It just leaves out the fact that what continues is the coming, continues to come in human flesh. So it doesn't seem to adequately explain it. The second one is that, oh, it just means he's going to come back. His second coming, the second coming of Christ, that must be what he's talking about. But that doesn't address it adequately either because the whole thing is a present, ongoing tense, continues to come in the flesh. Amen. So what, what, what the Lord has shown us in this is that his coming is continuing through his spirit that dwells in the flesh and blood of his people. Amen. Now we're going to look at some scriptures to see if that is supported by the rest of scriptures. That Jesus Christ continues to come in human nature by coming into our human nature. Those who have believed and have been filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ. Amen. That's how he continues to come because we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. We are members of his body. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> okay, so let's look at uh, John 15, 25. When the helper comes, there's our coming word. When the helper comes, Jesus is speaking, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He's going to bear witness of me. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. John 14 and 16. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Who is I here? But who's speaking these words? Jesus. It's almost as if they're one and the same thing. Amen? Amen. That the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ and that that is the Holy Spirit. Amen. He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is clearly saying he will come in this comforter, this spirit that will come and abide with us forever and will be in us, not just with us. So through the spirit, Jesus is coming through the flesh of the believers that he inhabits through his Holy Spirit. Is that preposterous? Most people are happy enough to say amen to that. It's when we move on to the implications about authority that it gets sticky. Amen? Because Christ came in the flesh and he brought an authority of his word spoken through his spirit through a man in the flesh that was hard to ignore and get around. Okay. So through the spirit, Jesus comes through the flesh of believers. Now let's just read through a few verses here that will... I think should make it quite plain if we don't see it already. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ. Christ is continuing to come because we are his flesh and his bones. 
Colossians 1.27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 1.15, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, amen, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Christ is being revealed through Paul, he's saying. Amen. Preposterous, huh? Amen. What was the purpose of it? That I might preach the gospel. This is necessary for effective preaching of the gospel to understand this. My little children, Galatians 4:19. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. John 17, Jesus speaking in his prayer. I have given them, speaking of the church, the glory that you gave me, Father, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me. John 15, 5, Jesus speaking again, He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 4, 414, he commends them because he says, you received me. Remember, Brother Doyle spoke to us about receiving the Father. Paul said, you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus himself. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul speaking to the Thessalonian church. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the Word of God. You see, this authority of Christ coming through the anointed speaking of His Word through the flesh of His people. Paul was rebuking the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, because they had doubted His authority. And he says to them, uh, verse 2, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me. And on down he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Here's the test again. Test the spirits, he tells us in 1 John 4. Test the spirits to see if they're of God. Here he's telling, Paul is telling us, test yourself. Test the spirit in yourself. How are we going to examine this? He says, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So we're failing the test if we don't realize that Christ is supposed to be in us and in our brothers and sisters. We're typically happier to acknowledge him in us than in our brother. We're happier to acknowledge that I could speak with the authority of Christ than to acknowledge that my brother may be speaking to me with the authority of Christ. Amen. But they can't really be separated, can they? Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's look at the immediate context 
If this seems like a stretch to you, what we're saying, let's look at the immediate context of John chapter 4. Okay. <coughs> right before the verse we read, read in 4.1, you know the headings weren't in the original autographs. 1 John 4.1, thank you. Verse 24 from before us, write, write the verse before testing the spirits. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, capital E. Amen? So here it is, Christ in us, if we keep his commandments. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So are we interpreting this correctly when we go on to the next verse and say, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God or of not? Amen. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that he's come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming is now in the world. Verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The whole context is speaking about Christ in us. And he's saying that's what has to be acknowledged or the confession of Jesus as Lord has no meaning, no power. In fact, it becomes the spirit of Antichrist. To deny that Jesus is still coming in the flesh, the reality of his spirit moving among his people, the authority of his word spoken through the ministries that he sends is the spirit of Antichrist. It says, oh, I can be in the place of Christ. Antichrist literally means, the Greek preposition there means in the place of Christ. We can be our own Lord. Amen? You see that? Do we need the feather yet? Okay, just checking. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> and he goes on. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak from the viewpoint of the world, from the frame of mind of the world, from the mindset of the flesh. And the world hears them. We are of God. It could be translated, we belong to God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not of God does not hear us, or he who does not belong to God does not hear us. This is exactly the same grammar that Jesus uses in John 8, where Jesus himself says, why is it that you don't understand my speech? Why is it that you're not able to listen or to hear my word? It's because you do not belong to God. Jesus said, he who belongs to God, here's what God says. And using exactly the same grammar, John here says something that you could get stoned for preaching in a church today. Imagine a minister standing up and saying as boldly as John does, we belong to God. He who knows God listens to us. He who does not belong to God does not listen to us. Pretty strong. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He's still on the same topic. This is the test. We test them by knowing whether or not they listen to us. 
What is this? Is this just arrogance? Is this elitism? John thinks he's got the only church. John thinks he's got a monopoly on the truth. Is that what's going on here? Thank you, Jesus. You know, uh, because of our understanding of these scriptures, there is a rather common accusation against us um, by our enemies who would like to misrepresent us, and they claim that one of our doctrines is that we believe that we are Jesus Christ. But not just we, certain people will be named. You know, Brother Blair will be quoted as having told the congregation, I am Jesus Christ. Not true, in case you're wondering. Amen? You see how this gets twisted? It only takes a little tweak for something that is the gospel truth of God to be turned into something that sounds horrible. Jesus was crucified on just such an accusation. This man said that he was going to tear down the temple and build it back up in three days. And everybody said, he did say something like that, didn't he? I remember something about tearing down the temple and building it up in three days. There was just a little shift there. He didn't say, I will tear it down. He said, you're going to tear it down. He told them, you tear down this temple and I will raise it again in three days. But they, he said he was going to tear down the temple, you see. So these little twists get in this. So this, this, this little fine distinction is important. <laughs> Which of us could say, you need to listen to me because I am Jesus Christ? <laughs> I mean, that's the most blasphemous thing. That's the Antichrist right there, is it not? I mean, that's not what we're saying. That's not the language Paul is speaking in. He says us. Just like he, uh, sorry, John. And Paul would say, we have the mind of Christ. Amen. None of us has the fullness, do we? In Christ, in the temple of his body when he was here as a man walking the earth in the flesh, was all the fullness of God in bodily form. To him was given the spirit without measure. Amen. But to each of us is given a measure of Christ's gift. So yes, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but that doesn't mean that we have the fullness of Christ contained within our one person. But together, we are complete in Him. Amen? But we cannot deny that that same Spirit that was in Christ can anoint our brothers and sisters and should anoint us also to speak to one another that the body may be built up. Ephesians 4. Amen. So how should we apply this test? A brother shared with me one time about a high school class that he was in um, years ago in, uh, I think it was high school, it might have been university. And the, the teacher was waxing eloquent about, I don't know if it was evolutionary topics or whatever, some things that, you know, a conservative believer would never agree with. And one young a uh, sincere believer tremblingly rose to his feet and raised his question, hand and said, he was so upset by this blasphemy that was being spoken. And he said, can I just ask you one question? And the professor said, sure. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? And the guy said, of course. Everybody knows Jesus was a historical figure. He was a real person. I believe that. I have no problem with that. 
And, and the, the young man was a little, uh, he didn't know what to do after that because he thought, well, here it is. If there was ever a time to apply the test, it's now. You just watch to see what he's going to say. But the guy was like, uh, sure. Amen. <laughs> you believe there's one God. The demons believe that. We heard the other day. Amen. So this, is, this can't be the only acknowledge. It's worthless if that's the only way that we're going to apply this thing. Okay, so something else has got to be being said there. That's not what the purpose of this test is. The purpose of this test is to protect the church from people who will not acknowledge the authority of Christ, who will not acknowledge, who set themselves up in that temple and raise themselves up above anything that is called God or that is worshiped, for people who will not submit to authority, like Jude warns us about, people who reject authority. That's what this test is for. He's saying, we can't receive. It's the wrong spirit if people cannot recognize the authority of the Holy Spirit speaking through men. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Third John is continuing the same theme. Again, if you read all three of John's epistles, you'll see that theme appears in all three of them. Third John, verse 9, John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brothers and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Amen. So he's judging Diotrephes on the basis of the fact that Diotrephes is not willing to receive the brothers. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so there's an important question here. Who is us? Who's we? Who's the us that have to be listened to? What if Diotrephes said about John, he won't listen to me? What do we do with that? Is that an important question? How do we know the difference? Who is the us that has to be listened to, and who are the others that are not listening? What if we both say we're sent from God? What do we do with that? You think I know the answer. <laughs> what do we do with that? Does anybody have anything on that? Amen. You will know them by their fruits. Amen. My sheep will hear my voice. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we've, we, we, what these brothers are bringing to us here is a shift from an organization, a church, the us, the we, protecting itself from individuals who come claiming something. We've shifted now to how does an individual know the voice of God for himself? You follow me? I could have said that clearer, I think. Amen. So this test that John is giving, he's, he's giving this 
He's saying the test is whether or not they listen to us, the established church of God. Let me point out that this church needs to be the anointed church. That's the us that he's talking about. The whole context is how do we know that, that Christ is with us? That's what he said in, in that verse that we said right before this passage, remember? By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he's given us. The us is the anointed church of God, the church that God anoints with his own presence, with his own word, with his own spirit, with his own power, and that's part of the fruit that we know them by. Amen? So the us has got to be the anointed church. Now, we know anybody can say they're anointed. Anybody can say we have the Holy Spirit. But the church that God is bearing witness to, that's the us here. So the next question is, well, what about me? How do I be sure which us is the us? And that's what, what these brothers are bringing to us is starting to answer that question. For me as an individual, how do I know? I'm, am I just supposed to go to anybody who says, well, we've got the truth, we've got the Holy Spirit, so you've got to listen to whatever we say. Bible says you've got to listen to us. <laughs> Amen? Well, I guess I, I better do whatever they tell me because they say they're anointed. They say they're the church. They say they're the truth. And so I guess I best, better do it no matter what I think in my heart or in my conscience. Or We can't take that approach, can we? In this same book, John tells us you, have, you don't need any man to teach you anything, he says. For you have the anointing that abides in you, and that, that anointing will teach you all things. Now, we know that in that passage, he cannot be telling us that that anointing is not going to speak to us through another person, that we really don't ever need anybody else ever to tell us anything. If that was the case, why did John need to tell us that? Did you follow me? Okay. John, under the anointing, is speaking to us a message that we need to receive, and that message is that you don't need a man to teach you. Okay, so it's either self-contradictory or we can under, understand this to say that it's not men, it's not flesh that teaches us. Amen. What does it prophesy in the Old Testament? No longer will they all, you know, say uh, that every man is, you know, teaches neighbor, but they shall all be taught of me. He's saying an anointing can come in you. The Holy Spirit can come in you that can bear witness in your spirit. You can say, like Peter said, with his good confession in Matthew 16, amen, you are the Christ. That means the anointed one, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Amen. We have a capacity that God is going to give to us that if we're honest and sincere of heart, we're going to be able to tell the difference. Amen? So that's, that's our protection from being led astray by false ministries. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This does not resonate in my heart. Jesus said, John 18, 37, Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. John 8, 47, we already quoted, he who belongs to God, hears what God says. And then I also had written down the verse uh, Brother Simeon shared with us. If anyone is willing to do his will, he's going to know whether the doctrine or the teaching is from God or whether I speak 
on my own authority. That's Jesus. Okay, you see that? He's saying, again, it's a test, isn't it? But he's saying that if the heart is willing, if the heart is surrendered to God, if we belong to God, then we're going to be able to discern. If we're willing to, to receive it, we're willing to do His will no matter what it is, no matter how it contradicts our previous frames or our fleshly impulses or whatever it is, we are ready to do it. We are willing. We're sold out. We belong to Him. If that's the condition of our heart, we're going to be able to tell. We're going to, we're going to be able to discern, is this coming from God or is this somebody just speaking on their own authority? Thank you, Jesus. So what protects the flock? This, we're talking about what protects the individual from being joined to a ministry that's off track. And on the other hand, what protects the flock? Well, it's this test, and it's being exercised by the ministries that God has given to govern the church. Amen? That are given in, in Ephesians 4. It says those ministries are given so that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So those ministries are given to the church to help govern and protect the flock. Amen? Get those that God has anointed to see things that others may not see or whatever. He has made provision for his people in those ministries. And those ministries need to be applying this test. Thank you, Jesus. Have I lost anybody yet? Do we need the ball end yet? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. What should we do with people who refuse to listen to us? Get out the ball. <laughs> Matthew 18, Brother Rossi says. What's he talking about? If your brother's in sin, go to him. Tell him his sin. If he, if he hears, if he hears you, if he listens to you, amen, and repents, receive him back. If he does not listen to you, take two or three others with you. If he does not listen to them, take it before the whole church. If he does not listen to the church, put him outside the church. Amen? Same thing. Same thing. The whole question is, can they receive us? Can they receive us or is there some, an authority in that person that says, that's not the way I see it, that assumes total supervision over their own life? Somebody comes to you and says, brother, I'm concerned that you've got a blind spot, that you're failing in this area. How much sense does it make to say, well, I don't see it that way? <laughs> that was my point, brother. <laughs> Amen. So we come to one another because we want to believe that you really are a brother and that you wouldn't even be doing it if you saw it. We don't need God to give us revelation about things we already see. We need him to help us with what we don't see. Because we're human, we're finite, we're limited. Amen? That's why we can't say to the eye or to the hand or any other part of the body, I don't need you. Thank you, Jesus. If we say, well, I don't really see why I need that, it's the same thing again. It's probably why you need it. Because you don't even see why you need it. Amen. 
So the question becomes, who is really sent from God? Who is it that is bringing this word to us? The Great Commission we've been talking about a lot today ties right into this. Remember, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. This is a delegation of authority. Therefore, you go into all the world and make disciples. You make them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded. They're His commandments, but we are the teachers. We are the disciplers. We have been delegated with the authority that was given to Christ as members of His body. Amen? Thus Paul could say, we beseech you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. We are His ambassadors. We have been given the authority. That stand, the authority that stands behind us, Paul is saying, is the authority that comes from the Father through Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Remember Romans 10? This is going to make a critical connection for us here about being sent by God. <clears throat> Verse 6 and uh, 10 6. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way of belief, speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The Word, making the Word synonymous with Christ, the Word is near you, in your heart, and in, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the Word of faith that we preach that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Now I want to draw a parallel for you with this passage here to Ephesians 4. When he says, don't say in your heart, who's going to ascend to bring Christ down, go into the depths to bring Christ up? What does it say in Ephesians 4? That he himself has ascended on high and led captivity captive. Now when he ascended, what happened? He gave gifts unto men. Amen? So don't, don't be saying, let's go find Christ. It's me and Jesus. Thank you very much for your opinion, but let me just see what, what he thinks. Amen? Which means my private interpretation. You see it? Don't say that in your heart. The word is nearer to you than that. It's in your heart, in your mouth, and it's the word that we are preaching to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So it says when, he, when he, he gave gifts unto men and he gave some to be apostles and prophets, here they are, the ministries of the word, to speak the truth in love to his people. Amen. So and then, of course, the context of Romans 10 goes on down to say, <clears throat> Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? 
and how shall they hear without a preacher, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? He's saying there's a critical link here that has to do with our salvation. That it's not going to come to pass unless somebody is sent. Because they're not even going to hear if no word is spoken. And if they don't hear, they can't believe. And if they can't believe, they can't be saved. You see? You see the link here? So he's saying somebody's got to be sent. And, and we say, ah, oh, yes, that was Jesus. He was sent, not you. If he was here, I'd listen to him, like everybody did when he was here, right? <laughs> Amen? But you, not so much. Amen? Is it still key to our salvation? Does Jesus Christ still continue to come in the flesh? Is that still connected to our salvation? Confess, whoever confesses him as Lord, the same shall be saved. Amen? That lordship comes very close. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we're sent with the authority of the word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the word sent that's being used here, there's two words in the Bible that are used in, uh, in Greek that are used for sent. One is pempo, which is, just means you send it like you send a, a letter or a package or whatever. There's no direct relational connection between the object that was sent and the sender. The other one is apostello, from which obviously we get our word for apostles. This one in the same word. Amen? And this word for sent, which is being used here, Romans 10, means that there is, there's a merging of identity with the sender and the one who is sent. There's, there's a delegated authority, as say, to use a worldly example, um, the general may send the major with an order, amen, but that major himself is part of this system of authority that we would call the military. You see what I mean? So it's different than the, than the general uh, sending a Christmas present to his son. This is an agent that has been commissioned with the authority placed within the agent. Amen? Does that make sense? There's a merging of identity with the one who is sent. Now, does that make any connections in your mind with all the talk about identity we've been having? Amen? If God is going to send us, we have to be merged with his identity. Amen. And if somebody is claiming to be sent to us and they're not merged with that identity, then we know they're a fraud. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so was Jesus himself in his own person when he came, was that the only sending? Let's just read a few scriptures that ought to make clear that there's more to it than that. John 6, 29, Jesus emphasizes this same sending. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. But he goes on in many other passages to extend that in the same way he does in the Great Commission, that all authority has been given to me, therefore you go. John 20 and 21, as the Father has sent me, in the same way that the Father sent me, I also send you. John 13, 20, Jesus again, I tell you the truth, whoever accepts or receives 
anyone that I send receives me. That was John 13, 20, sorry. John 15, 20, Jesus again. Remember the words that I spoke to you. He's worried that we're going to forget. Remember the words that I spoke to you. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours. Luke 10, 16, Jesus again. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. Amen? How do we know? How do we test the spirits? Whoever listens to us, whoever belongs to God, listens to us. Matthew 10, 40, Jesus again. He who, received you, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Do you see it? We've got to receive it. We've got to receive it when it comes real close to home. Thank you, Jesus. And if we don't, our confession of lordship is a fraud. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What was the reason for the children of Israel's failure to enter the promised land? Unbelief. What was it that they didn't believe? It was the report of the spies, was it not? Isaiah says, who has believed our report? We just read from Romans 10. He makes it, even there, he makes it synonymous with obeying. If you believed it, you obey it. He says, he says, but not all have obeyed the gospel. Remember, we just read it. Not all have obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, who has believed our report. So the children of Israel did not enter, even though they had come out, been baptized in the cloud, been baptized in Moses. Amen. The cloud and the sea. The rock that followed them was Christ. These things are written for our admonition, lest we think we stand and then fall. Amen. They'd already come out. They were already on the path. But when it came time to come into the fullness, to possess the inheritance, they could not go in because they did not believe the report. Amen. What was the report that they didn't believe? All the spies brought the same data. All right? They all said there's giants. They all said it's a good land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. But what was the Spirit speaking? What was God saying? Faith. God was saying, we can surely do it. And it's time. And you're the one. Amen. But they shrunk back in fear. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 4 and 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Speaking to believers. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, for they did not mix it with faith. That's one way that's translated. They didn't mix that word with faith. They, they heard information, but there was no faith. But if you look in your Bible, 
It'll typically tell you there's an alternate reading that is, can also be translated that says, the word they heard did not profit them, for they were not united by faith with those who did hear it. Amen? There were two people who heard it. Joshua and Caleb heard it. Amen? And it was a word of exhortation for battle. They felt the faith for it. Oh, that there would have been somebody with the spirit of Jonathan's armor bearer that said, huh, this resonates. <laughs> Amen? Do all that is in your heart. I am with you, heart and soul. Amen? Maybe it didn't come directly to me, but when you spoke it in faith, the anointing that abides in me resonated. Amen? I heard it. It bore witness in my heart and in my spirit. Amen? So I am with you. Amen? I hear it too now because of the one that he sent. I receive him because I receive you. I, hear, I feel him in you. Amen? They were not united by faith with those who heard the message. The word there, united by faith with those who heard it, is only used in one other place in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 24, where it says that God has composed the body just as he wills. That's the unitedness we're talking about. Putting together the relationships just as he has ordered. Amen? Composed, united, mixed together, arranged. They were not connected by faith with those who heard the word. You see it? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. One more thing. We're talking about the confession. Jesus is Lord. Let's look at one more place where it talks about what the confession is. 1 Timothy 6 and 12. Fight the good fight of faith, Paul is admonishing Timothy. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's generally understood that this is connected to baptism and that this is part and parcel with what happens at baptism. That there are witnesses just as there are witnesses at a wedding ceremony. Amen? That bear witness to our confession that we are making. In the sight of God, okay, to which you recall when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. He's equating Timothy's confession with the confession that Christ made before Pilate. So what is this good confession that Christ made before Pilate? Let's look at it. John 18, 37. Pilate therefore said to Jesus, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth hears my voice. Amen? That's the good confession. Are we able to hear his voice? Are we his sheep? Do we belong to God? Is our life surrendered to him? Is our will surrendered? Not my will, but your will be done. Amen? So that we're willing to do his will and then we can discern whether the teaching is from God or not. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We belong to God. He who knows God hears us. 
He who does not belong to God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I came to bear witness to the truth. Thank you, Jesus. Do you see it? Do you believe it? Amen. God is going to send people to us, and it's directly tied to our salvation. Think of the examples in the Bible. What happens when Paul is on, has his Damascus Road experience? Amen. He's going along thinking he's doing lots of great things. He's serving God. He thinks he's doing God a service by killing the believers. Amen. So blinded is he by the frames in his mind. Amen. But God appears to him, knocks him off his horse in this great light. The Lord Jesus himself appears to him and speaks to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Thus clearly connecting. Saul did not persecute Jesus directly. This is just another evidence that Jesus identifies completely with his people. Amen. When you're, when you're crucifying the Lord afresh, you can do that just by crucifying the brothers and sisters, uniting your heart with the accuser of the brethren. Amen? So Jesus identifies completely with his people. When they're suffering, he's suffering. Why are you persecuting me, he says. Amen? And does Jesus, here he is. Jesus himself is speaking. It's me and Jesus right in this moment. Well, how does Jesus choose to instruct Paul in the way of the faith? He sends a man to him. Why does he do this? Sorry, Saul, I'm, I'm out of time. Got another appointment. I would, I'd go ahead and fill you in on the rest, but uh, it's a busy world. That's not what's going on here. Does Jesus do anything that's not by design? Does he do anything that's not for our good, for our salvation? He knows that this is a necessary component to make sure that, that Paul knows what it means to become humble and actually submit. To not go around the rest of his life boasting of his visitation about his direct connection and such. Amen? He says, you're going to be told what it is that you must do. And, and then, of course, Ananias uh, finds himself in the difficult position of being the one sent. It's not always a glorious, exciting uh, <laughs> calling to be sent by God. It can be a little scary at times. <laughs> he has a conversation with the Lord. <laughs> Lord, are you sure you got the right number here? <laughs> this is, uh, I've heard about him, but it's really pretty incredible, isn't it? That Ananias would have such a relationship with the Spirit that he would hear that and that he'd have the faith to say, God, your presence must be sending me, so I'll go. Amen. He heard it. And so he goes to this murderer of the disciples. Amen. And Paul hears him, or Saul hears him, and becomes Paul. His name is changed. His identity is, has changed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so Paul arose and was baptized. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. His eyes were opened. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Same thing happens again with Peter and Cornelius, doesn't it? Cornelius has an angelic visitation. Amen. And the angel does not preach to him the gospel. You're gonna, you need to send for a man, and he will tell you what it is that you must do. He will speak to you the words by which you will be saved. Hallelujah. The word of salvation has been committed into our hands. Even the angels long to look into these things. Amen. But it's God's design 
that it comes through those that he sent. Amen? And that's why it was expedient for us that he went away. Otherwise, that comforter, that spirit would not have come. We would have never felt that need and dependence, that fullness that God intended on his, in his plan would have never come to pass. Amen? It's for our good that that spirit now resides in one another. It's the perfect design for the humbling of the flesh. It's the perfect design for the expression to this world of who Christ is. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So confessing him as Lord, receiving him as Lord, cannot be separated from receiving those that he sends. So a critical question is we got to know who he sent. Amen. We've got to be in the kind of relationship that connects us to the, those husbandmen that he would send to us that they're, in a way that their ministry can be effective. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.